Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter podcast, where we discuss the lies, the myths, and the propaganda being promoted by the media and society. Let's all be informed, not uninformed, or even worse, misinformed. Here we go. Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter. I'm your host, Dave Swinford. In this episode, we're talking with Ron Davison about the facts related to CO2. Now, I ran across Ron's work a few months ago and thought he was really good at presenting the facts on this highly technical issue in a fairly easy-to-understand manner. And he's written a downloadable book on the subject and publishes regular position papers at his website, climatechangeandmusic.com. So Ron is a chemical engineer and has a background in energy and CO2, having actually built a CO2 sequestration plant. So welcome, Ron. Tell the listeners all the details of your background that I may have left out. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to let me speak uh, on the on the subject. Um, yeah, you're correct. Uh, I I was the lead engineer on a CO2 um, sequestration project back in the early '90s. So as a result, I've been watching the whole climate change, global warming thing at that point in time, as it was playing out because we were potentially eligible for uh, carbon credits. Uh, at that point in time, we did not get them, but we continue with the project anyways. But I kind of watched ever since then, and uh, and uh, I uh, kind of ended up semi-retired in about 2015. And uh, one of my daughters talking, and she um, she she made the mistake of saying, "Dad, the science is settled." And I kind of just had to. You can't say that to it. An engineer with time on his hands and a little bit OCD in my blood, so right. I uh, quickly prepared a little PowerPoint for her, and she's sat and listened to it, but she hasn't <laughs> changed her mind. But uh, it kind of got me more involved because I had time to do it. So I, I literally went to NASA's website, NOAA, Hadley Center in England, and various other institutions around the world, and started downloading the data myself because as an engineer. I don't want to rely on on the opinions of either side of the argument. I wanted to figure it out for myself. Right. Go to source. And that's where that original document that I laid out came from. Because I just I just did it for my own benefit, but then I realized, well, maybe other people would like to read it because I just went through it step by step and focused on just the data initially, not getting into too many of the uh, deep technical discussions. And uh, I wrote that up and... And uh, then I moved on to just doing kind of weekly updates and uh, maybe some little short stories and getting into a little bit more of the technical. And uh, I've just continued on with that, still doing that. Uh, in the meantime, my wife was getting tired of hearing my stories. So uh, I found a, a group called Friends of Science in Calgary. Started attending their meetings because I could discuss things with them and get into a whole lot more of the uh, the technical, economic, uh, environmental side of it, and uh, and I've maintained that that uh, contact, and I'm actually now uh, listed. I know, I've taken the position of president of the society, so I'm very involved in it, not just on my own. I work with other people. I'm also a signatory to the uh, Grid Tell World Climate Declaration. I signed on to that uh, fairly early, and uh, so. I'm not just doing this as something to do. It's something I really believe in. It's uh, something we need to make sure we understand. And right now, the mainstream is not getting that whole story out. So, right. Anyways. So, 
if you would just start, if you could just start, walk kind of walk the listeners through some of your findings or some of your, some of the things you've learned about, I guess, about CO2 and the, some of the facts about the CO2 and how it relates to climate and all that. Yeah, sure. Well, like I said, my first foray at this was to look at the data. As an engineer, I've got lots of experience in analyzing data. I've got lots of experience with computer models. Um, and uh, so my first approach was let's look at the three main data points, temperature, CO2, and solar activity. And a little later on, I, I rolled uh, ocean cycles into that as well. They are solar related, but but uh, they really play a major role. And all I was looking for was a signal in the data. And uh, you can, you know, having looked at a lot of data over many different time periods from uh, the Phanerozoic, which is uh, 540 million years, give or take, down to the modern temperature record, which is 150, 250 years, depending on when you want to start that. And in all those different temperature ranges, you cannot see a CO2 signal. You can see it correlate in the ice cores, but in the ice cores, it's temperature driving the CO2, not CO2 driving the temperature. And um, conversely, if you look at the solar data, you can see fingerprints of the solar data throughout history at various different cycles and you know, from 11 year sunspot cycle to uh, 86 year Gleisberg cycle and up into the 100,000, 40,000, 23,000 type ranges for the Milankovitch cycles. And you can go further than that too. I'll go all the way back to every 150 million years. You can see uh, we've entered ice ages because we've, we're, the earth is traveling through the uh, spiral arms of the galaxy. There's a whole pile of things that go into making our climate. And it's not just CO2, the way the current IPC computer models are laid out. Right, right. So, so you know, I, I guess the number I've seen kind of thrown around is that maybe the temperature has gone up a little over one degree C in the last 150 years or so is that is that kind of the number that you've come up with the number from the ipcc based on their ar6 report last august is 1.07 degrees c <laughs> so I, i'd put on another podcast i thought you know 1.07 1 degree c is 1.8 degrees fahrenheit right so yep you know day-to-day -day temperature variations are 20 to 30 degrees fahrenheit and then season to season temperature variations are like <laughs> yeah. 30 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit, right? So, you know, yep. we have 30 degree highs in January. Well, I'm in Alabama, you know, in, in the U.S. Yeah, in we, get, we get a little colder. Yeah. <laughs> we just had our first freezing night last night, by the way. And this is yeah. October the, what, 17th? Oh, we're doing good this year then. We haven't had one yet. <laughs> oh, really? So we got <laughs> no. down to like 30, like, I mean, it might, might have been freezing, yeah. but it's right around freezing. But, um. Yeah, so you get those kind of highs in January, and then and then the highs in summer are almost a hundred. So you got huge temperature variation. So the fact that we see one point eight degrees F, if somebody didn't tell you that was real, that happened, you would never know it. You wouldn't, and the only reason you do know it is because the mainstream media and 
IPC and everybody keep dumping it on us. Right, right. They don't, they don't put it into context. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And, and so anyways, um, so we've seen this this small little temperature rise and and how do we know it's CO2? Or what? You, well, you don't know how much is <laughs> CO2 and you don't know how much is natural. That's, right. that's the big problem. Right. And uh, it, it makes a difference if, you know, if this much is due to CO2 or this much is due to CO2 or this much. Like it, the, the climate sensitivity to CO2 and the climate sensitivity is just how much will the earth warm if you double CO2. Right. Right. And, uh, so right now the, the general numbers are probably around one degree centigrade for every doubling. Okay. Okay. It's somewhere in that range, but you get a whole, whole variety of ranges. The IPC literally uses the range of 1.8 degrees centigrade to 5.6 degrees centigrade. That's how settled the science is in their own shop. The only, uh, you've looked at Dr. Spencer's work, right. the only model that really came close to modeling the actual lower tropospheric temperatures is the Russian model. And they used uh, a um, climate sensitivity of 1.8 degrees C plus a negative cloud factor. Uh, but so, so in reality, the climate sensitivity is probably more 1.8 or less. Uh, Dr. Curry, they did some, Curry and Dr. Lewis, they did some studies and put it at about 1.35 based on all of the warming we've experienced over the uh, modern temperature record. But, but all of that warming cannot be from just CO2 because, number one, the biggest thing, and I always like to mention this, 86% plus of our CO2 emissions, human CO2 emissions, have occurred past 1950. So we didn't have a whole lot to do with anything pre, pre-1950. And uh, the, the planet started warming up centuries ago, not just in 1950 kind of. So. Right. And, and then we have from, I guess, from the 30s till about the 70s, we had a, we had a cooling trend, right? Uh, yeah, the it's kind of the, the 30s were hot. That was the early right. 30s. But 1940 to 1975 in that roughly 30-year range, we had a cooling trend. That's uh, exactly right. While CO2 was Despite going up. CO2 rising. Yeah. Okay. So if it's correlated, it's, very, it's not very highly correlated and it's not very sensitive. No, not, e- not even over the, yeah, the last 150 years, no. Right, right. No. And the reason you, but the reason you have those declines and increases is because of the ocean cycles. The biggest one probably being the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation. It warms up every 30 years and then cools off every 30 years. So you have a 60-year cycle there. And you can see that in the temperature data, even the homogenized surface temperature data. <laughs> and tell, tell, tell the listeners what homogenized means, okay? <laughs> homogenized is, is a technique that's supposed to be used to um, correct for things like one place is taking a temperature in the morning and the other one's taking it in the afternoon. Right. Can't compare those directly. So you have to do things or, or you've moved the location 200 meters, uh, some direction. You have to make some adjustments. So homogenization is a process that's recognized 
but they go to extreme lengths when they're homogenizing this data nowadays. Uh, so basically, it's just a manipulation of the data. And you have areas where you don't have a station, so you just kind of make a virtual station. If you want to, I can use Calgary as an example here. Um, if you look at Calgary's data, it's from the NOAA website. They have a measured data set. That measured data set has been declining at a rate of uh, 1.75 degrees per century since 1973. If you look at the homogenized data, the rate is now increasing at uh, 1.35 degrees centigrade. <laughs> so they've actually changed the, 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 the temperature trends by three degrees centigrade per century. And, and they, did, they did that well. <laughs> and, 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 and it's been at the airport since, airport area since uh, uh, 1884. Did they do that by lowering the pass and raising the current? Absolutely. Both? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I noticed I was yeah. on I was on our local I mean, I was like on Weather Underground this weekend, just looking at just the general area around here. And I, I looked at the temperature between temperature stations at the airport and and kind of the middle of the little community I live in and around and there yeah. was like three or four degrees Fahrenheit difference between those temperatures. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's crazy, exactly. right? So, so I mean, we're yeah. what we're what we're really talking about here when you talk about a a degree C is engineers would call that noise, right? Uh, well, if if you look at like if you look at the data from over the Holocene in the last uh, twelve thousand years since we've come up with the deep ice age, that one degree is just in the noise of the data, and that doesn't matter whether you use the uh, Greenland temperature profiles, the Arctic temperature, or Arctic average, or the Antarctic average temperatures. You get you get swings of a degree all the time, right? Like on the on the neighborhood of uh, 100, 200 degrees or two hundred years kind of thing. So, right, it is noise. It is within the noise, absolutely. So, okay, so we've been going up. The the uh, CO two has been going up. I guess it was around. Uh, 200 or so parts per million and now it's around 400 parts per million and as we as i understand it and tell me where i'm wrong here mm -hmm. so the fact that you double it is it's a logarithmic thing right so you can That's double it right. you can double it and it's not going to double the response it's going to like you know it's it's something there's a what uh there's a log of Alpha times one temperature over the other. I can't remember the equation yep. exactly, right? But something like that, yep. right? Yep. Yep. So, so we in the deep ice age, we hit a low of uh, 180, just over 180 parts per million. Right. So, if you, you just use the 200 just for easy math, we've essentially doubled since the deep ice age. So, the amount, you know, we came up 10 degrees, give or take. Only one degree of that would have been because of CO two. If you believe the CO two is uh, is driving it, I, I if think, we go another f double, you're at eight hundred degrees, right. or eight hundred parts per million. If you go one more, you're at sixteen hundred parts per million. So we've only got about two degrees more that we could go. Right, and that's if we burnt all of the oil, coal, natural gas on the planet. 
and I guess one of the one of the uh, lies that gets propagated in the media is that CO two is a pollutant, and yeah, and it's really not. It helps. It helps. It's plant food, right? It's plant food. It feeds the plants. Yeah. It feeds whatever animals. And we every day, every day we sit in buildings, office buildings, places, and it's what a thousand parts per million at yeah, least, probably a thousand. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if in all this COVID stuff, we're wearing these masks, and it was probably, God knows what, ten part, ten thousand parts per million well, inside I, those masks. I've seen studies in that where the, the CO two level, it, you're breathing the CO two back in because you haven't been able to get rid of it all, kind of. So right, right. Yeah, yeah. There's issues there. So, in your in your studies of it, is as so if we double it from four hundred to eight hundred, we only go up what another degree C. Maybe other degree, give or take. The IPC uses one point two degrees, right? See, but they get all these these wild numbers from one point eight to to five point six by throwing in a positive feedback. The basic principle is we put CO two into the atmosphere that warms it. The warming adds more water into the atmosphere, which warms it, which adds more water into it, which keeps warming. So right. we're headed for a runaway effect. But there's no data back to back that 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 theory up. Right. And if I understand it right, in in nature, the nature is basically a sink for CO two, right? Yeah. So the oceans yeah. and the plants and everything basically sucks in this CO two and basically stores it away, right? Yep. So. Yep. Yep. And and it moves up and down with temperature. Like, and I want to be clear: when you add CO two to the atmosphere, there will be some warming. Right. We don't. But but in my opinion, not very much. Right. Certainly not dangerous. If anything, it'll be beneficial. I, I always say this: you can't grow food on a glacier. No. <laughs> you no. can't grow food on a glacier. And I in a previous podcast, I was talking about. I go to. Uh, Yuma, I used to go to Yuma, Arizona all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's down in the yep. b- b- southwest corner of Arizona, right next to California. It's the yep. hottest. It's the hottest populated city area in the United States, mm-hmm. and it's an agricultural mecca. They have yep. they irrigate it with you know water from the river there, and they grow all kinds of crops year round because Arizona has plenty, plenty of sunshine all year long. Yep. Absolutely. Warm weather, and in the winter time it gets a little chilly, but it never freezes. Yeah. So it's, I mean, they grow, they grow way over four crops. They grow four, five, six crops a year. I mean, yeah. we, we would, have a long growing season. They, it's yeah. all year long, all year long. Yeah. It never, it never really freezes there. Yep. So they grow, they grow lettuce in the winter. They grow cotton in the heat of the summer. They grow. Um, one big area that was weird because they grow, uh, they grow grass seed, they grow fescue. <laughs> so they yeah. grow these, I mean, you go by there and there's this giant, giant, giant things of fescue growing and they're growing it yeah. for seed. They're not growing it for the fescue or for the hay. They're just growing it yeah. for the seed. And I'm, mean, I'm sure they probably use the fescue for whatever, but, but, yeah, but anyways, mainly good. for the seed. It's, I mean, that grow stuff, you go, I would go in there for like a month at a time and I'd see a whole crop like from plant to finish in a month almost. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it can't really get, I mean, there's certain 
foods that don't like certain crops that don't like heat, but heat's not really the problem. It's it's water. A lot of crops don't like the cold. They don't like the cold, <laughs> right? You can't grow food on a glacier. So, anyways, um, so I mean, I I don't know if you know, I'm I'm here in Huntsville, and I'm here where Dr. Roy Spencer and and uh, yeah. and John Christie are, and so they're. I guess they get some of the. Sometimes they get heat for being climate deniers, and they're really not. I mean, they're just like what no. you said. They they say that. Oh, I I followed them both closely. You know, they yeah, the temperature's gone up, and it's going to go up if the CO two goes up a little bit. It's going to go up a little mm-hmm. bit, but you know, um, and I, but it's not. You know, there's nothing that says that it's catastrophic. So, and I think the key is, and tell me if I'm wrong here. This this environmental. Uh, what is what's the ECS this the sensitivity right environment the, uh, social governance yeah so what's this the, the, what that sensitivity term is that for the climate right so what the sensitivity is to the CO two term in the in, yeah in the, it's usually important and and they haven't nailed it down yet right right um which is kind of important <laughs> <laughs> we're making trillion dollar policy decisions on it. Yeah, trillion dollar policy decisions, and and you know I, I I get concerned because the people that are discussing this and and um, promoting some of these things they really they really don't understand they don't really don't understand how you do science how you do analysis how you do how you understand the yeah. data you know yep. and and you got guys that. You know, all of them, well, it used to be newspapers, but now it's probably TV and websites or whatever, right? And they're running around saying things, and they have no clue because the last science class they had was in the 10th grade. That's right, and they're taking the exaggerated viewpoints. Like uh, one of the things um, the uh, IPCC used in the computer models is the, the uh, uh, RCP right. uh, pathways. Um, so the RCP 8.5 is, it essentially says that you're applying eight and a half watts to the climate system, which is a lot. Right. But the IPCC itself, I might've said it's C there. (laughs) The IPCC has come out and stated that that is not a plausible scenario. Yet that's the scenario that creates all the catastrophic and global warming scenarios and it, it's not realistic right now haven't they come out this last uh this last iteration and said ipc ipcc and said yeah it's on the order more on the order of two or two and a half or less than two or something like that uh, they, they've ratcheted it down yeah but yeah. uh in my opinion it's less than that too in fact um i don't know how far you want to get into it but the the temperature is more likely to drop than it is to rise, just because of um, we're going into a cold phase on the North Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation. We're going into a, a cold phase in the solar activity, and um, we're just generally the Milankovitch cycles. All those different factors are headed down. Those those are slow moving processes. Right. The Atlantic multi-decadal and the uh, the solar activity are going to have profound effects over the next couple of de- decades. Right. And it's not warming. It's not, no, it's not warming. 
It's not warming. Um. So one of the other, one of the other interesting things I think comes out sometimes is they talk about, as I hear the I hear the argument that the uh, the well, when we talk about like some of these warm periods, like the the Roman warm period, the Minoan warm period, the whatever medieval warm period, they're like they say, well, th- those are local, those are local, um, local observations. Yeah, and that's true. There's no, yeah. that's that's true, probably. But the but the data they kind of try to counter that with are ice core data, which is by the way local data, right? I mean, it's just data at one spot, either in Iceland, I mean, either in Greenland or in Antarctica for the most part, right? Those two places. A few, a few, uh, glacier mountain cores. Yeah. 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 They, they, uh, well, the argument I have there is, yeah, it's, it might be focused on the Northern hemisphere. Right. But the northern hemisphere is half of the planet. It's where all the land is, right? I, <laughs> and it's where all the land I, is, exactly. And that's where we live. We don't live in the ocean. <laughs> and that's where we do most of our farming, our agriculture. Right. Like, so if it doesn't affect the southern hemisphere, I don't care because it's still going to affect the northern hemisphere. Talking about the sun's activity. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. the Atlantic multiplicator oscillation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just briefly, if you, I mean, you might, once you, can you explain just briefly to the listeners what the, just high level, what the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation is and the Pacific decadal oscillation. And so people yeah. can kind of understand what, on a high level, what those things are and why they are important. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with the Atlantic. Um, it, 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 it's just basically the ocean currents and that they, they, they go in and out of in and out. They go in cycles, basically. But the Atlantic multi-decadal, so the Atlantic Ocean, North Atlantic, warms up for 30 years, and then it goes down for 30, 30 years. And it's a very strong sinusoidal curve. I've uh, I've modeled it myself just on right. a spreadsheet, and I don't get paid billions of dollars to do it, but <laughs> but. Uh, so, so every 30 years, you're getting warmer. And we've, we kind of peaked at about uh, 1975 to 2005, which was a big increase on the, uh, the global temperatures. That corresponds to the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation warming up. Right. Is there some CO2 in there too? Because that's past 1950. So yeah, I, I, there's some CO2 warming, but, but you can't ignore the warming that the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation produced. And, um, and, and for the last few years, it's kind of been up at the top. It hasn't really, it's just starting to go down now. Uh, the Pacific decadal is on about a 60 year cycle too. It's a little offset from the Atlantic. Um, and it's not as, uh, it's not as, as well defined. You can't just, run a sinusoidal curve through it, you'd have to do some type of fancy curve. So I haven't done that yet. But the other very important one is the ENSO cycle, which is the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And most people know El Nino and, and La Nina. Right. Um, El Nino is the warm cycle. La Nina is the cold portion of the cycle. And uh, that, again, is not very regular. 
Um, they can kind of predict it on short terms, um, but we've uh, we've just gone through, we're into the third La Nina cycle now, cold cycle in a row, which is uh, a little unusual. Um, but the El Nino, the strong El Nino cycle has been going on since about 1998. We actually had a, a really strong cycle that year. And uh, that's kind of kept it up. And then uh, in 2016, we had another really strong cycle. And that's what's, that's added a lot to the temperature, right. global temperatures over the last decade or two. So it's not just CO2. There's all, like, it's right. extremely complicated. Yeah, and, and the whole, the oceans, and again, tell me if I'm wrong here. So you get this big cycle going where the oceans, of course, are moving north and south, east and west, some big cycle going on. But there's also this mm -hmm. up and down cycle, right, where the deep ocean yep. is cycling to the top and the top is yep. cycling to the bottom temperature-wise and it's recirculating, yep. right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And then you have where the oceans are warm down say in the in the equator area the, where the oceans are warm it's actually giving off co2 is that right yeah you're having co2 come out of the out of the water yeah. so it's coming out of the water uh -huh. and the northern part where the water's really cold is basically sucking in co2 yep. and depositing yep. co2 and yep. and that's yep. the, the 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 carbon from the co2 ends up in the in shells and other things and parts of the of the sea life, right? Into into yeah, things like the plankton, and plankton and whatever yeah. rocks and whatever. Yeah. And so it's there's you know I'm again it's it's one of these local non local things, right? So we measure we measure CO two. Everyone measures CO two at at Mau how I don't know how you say it Maulona. Mauna Loa, Mauna Loa in, in yeah. Hawaii. That's the official yeah. big number, right? Yeah. And it's not a single number. It varies daytime, nighttime. It varies winter and summer. Yeah. So it's all over. You know, so it's it's that 410, 420, whatever it is right now, is really an yeah. average kind of thing. Uh, yep. Yeah. You can see the seasonal variation in the Mauna Loa data. It goes up and down seasonally. Yeah. But I mean, it's... Um, you could walk outside of your if house. You look at it, if you look at a CO2 map of the world, you have the same as looking at temperature. You have bright red spots. You get green spots where there's not as much. Right? It's yeah, it's not not homogeneous. It's not homogeneous, but it's probably not a bad average. It's not a bad average. It's not, it, and yeah. it's probably a good place to do it because it's not, it's not, you know, twenty miles down from a from yeah. some big plant or something that's pumping the ocean. So it's right. Mostly natural. Right. But I just kind of wanted to point out yeah. to everybody, it's not, there's not like a number. I mean, we, we have a number, but it's not like yep. the number. It's like there's built, yep. there's a lot of numbers around the world. So there's yep. a lot of Absolutely. processes going on that, that are kind of, um, we don't, we, yeah. they're, they're kind of hidden, I guess. We don't see those all the time. So, yep. So I guess what, I guess, where do you see it? Where do you see this thing going with CO2 and, and I mean, I mean, everybody thinks that's the big, big bad bear and, you know, we've got to kill the CO2 and, yeah. you know, it just doesn't, you know, from our discussion here and from my studies and your studies, it doesn't sound like 
that's one, it's it's not worth trillions and trillions of dollars to go do something about. No. It's not no. it's not the worst thing in the world that could happen to us. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how we get the. I don't know how we get the word out or how we uh, well educate yeah. people. This has been going on for many decades already, right? And and it's not going to change overnight. Um, early on, um, I, I recognized, and I don't force my ideas on people. If they want to hear me talk, I'll I'll talk. Uh, but I always kind of leave it because I've talked to a lot of really hardcore alarmists too. Right. They they have a, um, had discussions with me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just said, Mother Nature is going to take care of it. Exactly. In five exactly. and ten years, you'll see how wrong you are. Right. Uh, if you don't want to listen and you don't want to pay attention to that, there might be something called that, you know, that big yellow ball in the in the sky that's more white than yellow. <laughs> right. Uh, lately, but um, if you don't believe that has anything to do with eating on this planet, then I I can't really change your mind if that's your mindset and stay there but it's got to hit the people in the pocketbook right and it's starting to i think it is i think it's starting to it is yep. it is and it's going to hit a lot harder than what we've seen today too so yeah oh, all the crazy um crazy things they're doing by closing closing all these you know coal fire plants and yep. god god forbid they're closing they're closing, you know, natural gas, you know, plants yeah. that are, you know, the generating electricity. And those are the, those yeah. are the cleanest thing ever is natural gas, other than nuclear, right? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, I mean, it's going to really hit hard, especially I think this winter it's going to hit really, really hard in Europe. I think they're going to have a they're going to have a struggle. Yeah, this, this it's going to be worse there, but we're going to see some high pricing too for our power yeah. generation. <laughs> Fortunately, both, both down here, up here, and down there. Yeah, fortunately, I live in uh, I live in TVA territory, uh-huh. <laughs> Tennessee Valley Authority. So, so we have the second largest nuclear plant in the United States, about twenty miles from me, and oh, uh, yeah. and we have oh three or four hydroelectric plants, and so yeah. so we have we have pretty cheap electricity you guys are in good here. Shape. We're yeah. in good shape, but but yeah. it, you know the 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 reality of it is all those all the electricity is basically it, it they sell it right so they'll sell that they'll sell our electricity to somebody else farther down in the state or someone in Tennessee yeah. or whatever the Carolinas and it kind of when one of them suffers everybody kind of suffers these days yep unless you live and in Texas you guys will be getting bigger draws on your system too which might cause problems for you right right so we we struggle here because uh you know I'm in North Alabama area and uh we don't have very much cold weather. So if we get a really bad cold snap where it gets yeah. really, if it gets below freezing, like it stays below freezing nighttime, daytime for a couple of weeks, we're like, Oh my God, the whole world's coming to an end because everybody has heat pumps. We have heat pumps. It's called spring for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if everybody well, didn't know, know Rod lives in Canada, by the way, if everybody yeah. doesn't know. That. So, so yeah, and I didn't mention that. Yeah, so so when it gets when it gets you know it gets below twenty here, the world's coming to an end. It's pretty cold. Mm-hmm. So, but but yeah. we don't you know the the utilities are not buried very deep. You know the water water uh, pipes aren't very buried very deep. Yeah. Uh, 
we don't have uh we have heat pumps which work great for most of the year except when it gets really really cold and then you have to mm-hmm. have strips or strip heat yeah. electric heat or or gas or some kind of other heat to help fill yeah. that in because it didn't work you know so yeah. anyways it's uh yeah uh, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting this winter to see how um the policies that have been enacted basically to counter co2 how they're going to play out so uh it'll, yeah. especially in your well it, i i again i i i'm in the camp same camp as co2 coalition which more co2 would be a lot better got to be clean right like the oil industry doesn't get a pass for just right firing right but if it's clean if it's just co2 and water right uh, all that's going to do is going to help us Right. And the re- and the, the the um the big issue I have with our government, your government, and uh, pretty much most of them around the world is if you look at that Paris Accord twenty fifteen agreement, right. If everybody there were to you know, honor their pledges, continue them through to twenty one hundred, spending hundred and fifty trillion plus or minus it would drop the temperature by 0.17 degrees Celsius. 0.17 degrees Celsius. So, yeah. so you so, can't even measure that. No, 2100. No. You won't know whether we no. we were right or not. No, that's, that is. That's so you spend bl- trillions of dollars for 0.17 degrees. Right. 150 trillion, give or take. Right. So, the smarter move would be let's delay the green spending initiatives. Let's fix our fiscal problems right. and a whole lot of other problems. And then when you got to help the economy, you can maybe look at spending some money towards uh, CO2 reduction. Right. By that time, we won't want to, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll uh, figure it out by that time. It's all a bunch of, yeah. bunch of hooey, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the technical term. Yeah, hooey. Yeah, bunch of hooey. That's the polite. I agree that's, with that's a completely. polite term. Yeah. Yeah. So. But. Well, all right, Ron. I mean, I, anything else we need to we need to throw in here before we close out? Uh, I don't think we have to get into any 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 of the detail. Like uh, on on my website, I've like you said, I tried to keep it plain language, especially in that first. 74 page document. Right. Um, it, uh, some of the other stuff I've gotten a little more technical and that's up to the reader to decide whether they want to follow through with that or not. But if you just look at it from a very, you know, simple, simplistic viewpoint, there is no indication that CO2 is driving the climate. Right. And there's lots of indications that the sun is playing significant roles. So cycles move up and down and they cross over. Sometimes they amplify, sometimes they compress. Right. But it's, it's not CO2. CO2 is still there. Right. But you don't see it in historical data because it's much smaller component than all the natural forces. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, and that's... If you, like, I, I did send that one plot to you. If you look at the Holocene temperature data... Right. You know, you, you can see the medieval warm periods in the Greenland data and the right. Roman and the Dark Ages and the Little Ice Age and all that type of thing. But if you plot it on a properly scaled, you know, get CO2 properly scaled, 
the, the CO2 concentration through the Holocene is virtually flat. Right. Yet you still have temperature swings on the order of one and two degrees throughout there, you know. Right. It, you know, 30 or 40 of them. Right. Um, those natural forces were acting there when CO2 couldn't possibly be doing anything to the, uh, the temperature. Right. And those, those, those natural forces didn't shut off just because we came along and started driving SUVs and any other manner of CO2 emitting uh, vehicle. And those natural forces will still continue to act in the future. Right. And we're ignoring all those natural forces. That's, um, in my opinion, a very dangerous thing to do. Right. And a very expensive thing. And very expensive very things. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're making yeah. trillion dollar decisions on uh on guesses for the most part. Yeah. 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 Well, Ron, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate um uh, you coming on and talking to you oh, about I this. I appreciate and, the opportunity. And and everybody in a little while setting it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a little technical difficulties, everyone. But uh go to climate change and music dot com, right? That's your that's your website? That's correct. Climatechangingmusic.com. Yep. And Ron has a lot of good material on there. You know, you can uh, read it. You can look at a lot. He's got some really nice, beautiful, pretty plots. If you like to look at plots, if you're a technical person, if you're not, then I think you can still get some benefit out of reading some of his material. And uh, and that's one reason I want to have him on here because he, he kind of has a common sense kind of approach to this. So, Again, thanks, Ron, for being on here, and I uh, hope maybe we'll, hey, maybe we'll you. have you on here again sometime. I'd love to. You're right. my first interview ever, so. <laughs> <laughs> other than job interviews. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, thanks again. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh-huh. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Facts for What Matter podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to catch our future episodes.